0: After feeding more than 5,000 people in the wilderness, Jesus teaches them regarding the true significance of this remarkable sign. The Gospel according to John, chapter 6, beginning at verse 35. Jesus said to the crowd, I am the bread of the life. Whoever comes to me will never be hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. Then the Jews began to complain about him, because he said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. They were saying, Is not this Jesus the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How can he now say, I have come down from heaven? Jesus answered them, Do not complain among yourselves. No one can come to me unless drawn by the Father who sent me, and I will raise that person up on the last day. It is written in the prophets, And they shall all be taught by God. Everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. Not that anyone has seen the Father except the one who is from God. He has seen the Father. Very truly, I tell you, whoever believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Your ancestors ate the man in the wilderness, and they died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven, so that one may eat of it, and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. Whoever eats of this bread will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. The word of the Lord, thanks be to God.
1: Dear friends in Christ, grace and peace to you from God, our Creator, and from Jesus Christ, the bread of life. Amen. One of our practices at Holy Spirit and a communion class that we teach for third graders is to make bread as part of the class and then share it together as a congregation the next time we worship. The first time I ever did this was in my previous congregation years ago, and at the time it seemed like the best idea I'd ever had. I found a recipe for Eucharistic bread, which looked doable for a group of third graders. I bought all the ingredients, even the shortening that comes in little sticks like butter, because I thought it would be easier for us to measure. I had everything we needed, (coughs) two kinds of flour, brown sugar, baking soda, the recipe, the water, all the other pieces we needed. And I set it up in the church kitchen and turned on the oven. The idea was simple, that after the first part of the class where we would learn about the meaning of communion, we would come into the kitchen and make our bread and experience communion. And as we were doing this, we would tell the Passover story. Of how the Israelites had to escape from Egypt so quickly that they made bread, flat bread, that had no time to rise. Well, let's just say that if the Israelites were looking to leave quickly and with a minimum of fuss, then I hope they did not have their bread baked by one adult and 12 third graders. It's not a recipe for neatness. We all know how the best laid plans. Fall to pieces much of the time. In this case, the best laid plans made a huge mess in the kitchen. For one thing, I forgot to do all the math on quadrupling the recipe, so we got the wrong amount of liquid, and then there was flour all over the floor, which is kind of slippery. And then two brothers in the class who had been separated by their mom, because apparently they had had an argument in the car on the way over, got into another argument in the kitchen and started throwing pieces of Eucharistic bread dough at each other. When I added more flour because our bread was too sticky, it turned out to be too much so that when the kids were trying to knead and shape their loaves, there were crumbs and chunks of flour all over the trays. We attempted to carve a cross in each little loaf, but it basically looked like a bobcat had attacked them in the oven. But we baked them anyway. And then we celebrated communion with those loaves the next day. At least one thing went right, and that was those kids had never been more proud. During communion, we got crumbs everywhere on people's pants and the wine on the altar and the bread was kind of dry and a little burned, but... The kids' eyes were shining because they had baked that bread right there in the mess, and we all figured their joy was worth it. Three weeks ago, we found ourselves starting this sixth chapter of the Gospel of John, and it started beautifully with the best laid plans. Jesus feeding thousands of people with just a couple loaves and a few fish. It's the kind of story where everything goes just the way it should, where there's the generosity of this young boy who offers the little bit he has so that everyone can eat something, and there's all the people sitting carefully on the green grass, and there's Jesus giving thanks for what looks like this tiny lunch, but gets transformed into a feast. And at the end of it, there are even baskets of leftovers, this evidence of the abundance of God. But then it gets messy. The crowd keeps following Jesus and they start demanding another miracle. And when Jesus tells them that the the whole point wasn't really the free lunch, but the experience of God in their midst, that if they could manage to put the loaves and fishes aside for just a second, they could catch a glimpse of the bread of life right in front of them, They don't understand it. And they start to argue amongst themselves and with Jesus. Which is what they're doing in today's reading. Starting with the fact that nobody understands what Jesus means when he says that he is the bread that came down from heaven. Heaven, they say. What's he talking about? He didn't come from heaven. He came from the corner of First and Main Streets in downtown Nazareth. We know him. We know his parents. We know his siblings. Who does this guy think he is exactly? And then Jesus begins to talk about how no one can see God, but that he is the bread of life. And then, as if all of this was not strange enough for the crowd, he says to them, Whoever eats this bread will live forever, and the bread that I give for the life of the world is my flesh. And suddenly, this nice, neat miracle and the best laid plans have exploded into a big mess of disagreements and offenses and family squabbling and possible cannibalism. This mess is not what the crowd bargained for when they followed Jesus to the other side of the lake. They wanted the nice, neat miracle. Maybe another field of grass, a nice meal, some peace, leftovers to take home. Not a mess. Crumbs everywhere. As Christians, we jump right to thinking about communion when we read this passage especially the part about eating flesh, and in next week's reading, when Jesus adds the image of drinking blood. We've become so used to that as a part of our communion tradition and story that it probably doesn't sound that strange to us anymore. But if you pause and think about how it must have sounded to the crowds who had never heard this, it is bizarre at best. In fact, it's downright messy. And I wonder if our struggle with messes goes way beyond communion. Because often, our religious practices and our spirituality are about trying to avoid messes, or at least clean them up. When we seek out the holy or the presence of God, we are usually hoping for something quiet and calm and peaceful, someplace apart from our messy lives. Jesus often goes in the opposite direction. He starts with this nice, neat, peaceful meal, but instead of stopping there, he heads straight into the messy meaning of it all. He could have stopped so many times. He could have stopped when he saw the confused looks on the crowd's faces about what it meant that he had come from heaven. He could have just said, I'm the bread of life, and then left it there and let them get used to it for a while. He certainly could have stopped before telling them that they were going to need to eat his flesh and drink his blood. But he kept going and going deeper and deeper into the mess until finally many in the crowd walked away because they could no longer understand this man, and they didn't want to try. So yes, we tend to think that this is a passage about communion. But even communion, we have often managed to transform from a messy, crumbly, flesh-and-bloody mess into a pretty neat, tidy meal most of the time. We don't want to get crumbs on the carpet in in the wine, so we've got those wafers. And in these days of, of pandemic, we are being very careful about how we serve wine. So no, we're not just dipping our fingers into the same cup together. We'll have to figure out a different way. And we don't just want people rushing up to eat this meal like their lives depend on it. So we get in line and wait our turn. And of course, there are good reasons for all of that. Some, some good order and care for each other in a group of people is a good thing. There's nothing wrong with the wafers. They're great. We do have to figure out a way to share this meal together every week in a basically orderly way. But over time, maybe our nice, neat, orderly communion practices have seduced us into thinking that communion itself is nice and neat too. When Jesus tells the crowd that they need to eat his flesh, the word he's using would be better translated gnaw or chew on or even devour. It's not a nice, neat word, it's a messy, germy, physical word. It makes us uncomfortable as messes often do, because so often we've been led to believe that the messiness is something other than God. Eventually we realize that faith communities in the church are filled with messy people too, who disagree, who forget to be welcoming, sometimes get caught up in old grudges. And as our lives get messier and messier, we might easily wonder where God has gone in the middle of that, until eventually we worry that we have maybe made so much of a mess of everything that nothing can be done to save it. But Jesus always comes right into the mess inviting us to devour him as if our lives depended on it, as if we were crawling through the desert and miraculously found an oasis, soaking ourselves in the water we thought we'd never see again. What we learn today or remember in the story is that the mess is holy. The ones we make and the ones we find ourselves in, that's where God is waiting for us. Sometimes life is the nice, neat communion wafer. But much more often, it's that burnt, misshapen, slightly dry loaf of bread made by inattentive and argumentative third graders. And yet, that messy loaf is the bread of life. It is the presence of God. It is the sign for us that God chooses all the way all the way into the blood and the pain of the cross, to be with us in our mess. Not always necessarily to clean them up, but to remind us that right there in the crumbs is the bread of life for you. Thanks be to God, amen.